Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. We are finishing up a series called At the Table. Somebody say, At the Table. And you'll see the table we have furnished today already has a meal in place. How many know we love food at HPC? We're going to feed your belly and your soul. Can you say, oh yeah? We talked about three weeks ago that as it relates to the table, this is a, an environment that represents shared life and experience. It's, it's where you know, values are passed along. It's where you know others and you're being known. It's where you serve others and you can be served. The Bible talks about the table in a, a sacred realm. And so as we've been talking about relationships and how to have ex, uh, freedom in our relationships, the table has given us the opportunity to do just that. We said that no relationship works unless Jesus has a place at your table. Marriages work when Jesus is invited to have a seat at the table. You know, kids are instructed and prepared for life when Jesus is present at the table. Uh, last week, if you were here, you had a chance to hear from my overseer, Pastor Brady Boyd. He talked about friendships. Friendships are healthy, alive, and vibrant when Jesus is at the table. Uh, today, I wanted to close out the series, and I want to talk about family. If you're taking notes, write down the word family. Come on. History makers are note takers. And I've got a lot of scripture to give you today. I love how the table is set. Can you see what's on the menu today? You see, we got some fried chicken up in here. Oh yeah. Come on. Hum at me. Mm-hmm. Got some blue store fried chicken in the house. You know, it's a move of God. Hello. Hello. I think we got, what do we got here? We got some Mac and cheese. Come on. Carbs make me happy. Carbs just make be happy. Got some mashed potatoes. Got some green beans. How many know you got to keep mama happy? Put something green on the table. Uh, and, and then we got some bread rolls. Holler at me. Hey, we, we breaking bread. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but man, we can start with a few bread rolls. Ooh, and they're warm too. Oh, yes, Lord. We may need to go Lambert's Cafe in the house and just toss. Come on, any, anybody feeling a little? Here we go. There we go. There we go. There we go. Teresa, why did you dodge the bread roll? You catch it. And then you put it in your purse and save it for later. (laughs) Oh, we're going to have some fun today. Have some fun today. You know, when when we say yes to Jesus, I, I thought about this today. The three most important decisions I've made in my life. The first was to repent of my sins and to ask Jesus into my heart, to say yes to the Lord. That was the most important decisions I made. The second most important decision was saying yes to my wife. How many things I married pretty well? How many things she did okay herself? (laughs) Saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to my wife, and then saying yes to the family of God. That's the third most important decision you'll ever make. Saying yes to a local body of believers. This is a family. When you say yes to the Lord, you're saying yes 
to a family. Michael, we're, we're dysfunctional, man. The church got a lot of problems. Yes, but we're the bride of Christ. And Jesus died to save us and to redeem us, to wash us and to purify us. You know, family, this is why we say this here at Healing Place. We want to be big enough to reach the world, but small enough to feel like home. Church is not an organization to join. It's a family to belong. It's a home to be loved in. It's a hospital to be healed in. And so, you know, I want you to bring this through the filter of, of, of different ways of thinking because, you know, some of you may find yourself on a different place in the family spectrum. You say, Mike, well, I'm, I'm, I'm young and I'm single. I don't have a family. You came from a family. And now at church, you're a part of a family. And maybe one day you desire to, to have a family of your own. We're going to talk about things, I think, that will help us as it relates to family dynamics. Now, if you're in the one-year Bible, how many of you are still tracking along in the one year? Okay, how many of you are struggling? You are ST ruggling in the one-year Bible because you're in Leviticus and you're lost. Look, I'm in Leviticus too, okay? Man, we're in the high weeds of... Man, they had some crazy practices back in the Old Testament. I'm thankful for a New Testament reading that's a, paired with the Old Testament. I'm thankful for a psalm and a proverb every day. But you know, in, in January, when we read the book of Genesis, did you track along with how dysfunctional the families of the Old Testament were? Okay, for instance, Abraham and Sarah. Okay, Abraham, how many members old Abe? Father Abraham had many sons. Come on, remember singing that? Okay, the father of our faith. Let me tell you what was happening in that family. Abraham and Sarah struggled to get pregnant. And so Sarah has this bright idea. Well, Abe, won't you get together with my servant? Y'all kind of get together and stuff. And, and maybe I can have a child through her. And so Abraham's like, okay. <laughs> Look, I'm not making this up. Read it. It's in your Bible. So they, they have this child through Hagar, and then Sarah gets upset and says, Abe, it's all your fault. <laughs> uh, these, are, these are the families in the Bible. Do you remember how not only did Cain kill Abel, right, jealous? You remember how Jacob deceived his father? In fact, his mother put him up to it. Rebecca said, Jacob, your, your dad's about to die. That blessing that, that he wants to give to Esau, it belongs to you. You go in there and you deceive your dad. And so he does. And then Esau finds out and wants to kill his brother. <laughs> Drama. In the Bible. Oh, and then, so Jacob flees for his life, and then he wants to get married, and so he falls in love with this girl named Rachel. He thinks he gets married to Rachel. They have the wedding. That wedding night, they get together, and it's not until he's making waffles the next morning that he realizes he married Rachel's sister. How many know some of these, these families in the Bible, they put the funk and dysfunctional. Come on, somebody. And he, he, I say all that to say this. If God would not only choose but use those families, there's hope for your family and my family too. Come on. If you believe that, put your hands together. There's hope 
for our families. So if you have your Bibles, look at Joshua 24. Joshua 24. I want to bring you through four. I'm going to do my best to, to walk through this map of four different family situations and lessons that we can learn about how to have families that honor the Lord. Joshua 24, 15. Now let me give you some context here. Joshua is about to die. He's, he's 110 years old. He was Moses' apprentice during the days of the Egyptian exodus. Remember how God used Moses to bring Israel out of slavery, and then they wandered 40 years in the wilderness? Moses dies. Now Joshua then takes the children of Israel from the wilderness into the promised land. They fought all of these battles, and now Joshua is about to pass away, and this is what he says, Joshua 24, 15. He says this, to the family of God, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, come on, somebody say my family. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Joshua made a declaration. I've seen a lot. I am battle tested. I've got a lot of miles on my life and I'm about to go be with the Lord. I want you to know this. I've made a decision. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you take a notes, write down the word foundation. Somebody say foundation. Come on, I need to keep you awake. Got to throw out a couple more rows here. Anybody, Bob? Anybody? Anybody? Catch it, catch it. Oh! Jennifer, that was almost an accident waiting to happen. One, two, three, eyes on me. Oh, she's taking notes. She's taking notes. Okay, head. Write down the word foundation. The most important part of the house is the foundation. It's the first thing that's built. It's the first thing that gets inspected. How many of you know that if you have a faulty foundation, the house will always be plagued with problems? Oh, man, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. If you have a faulty foundation, the house will always be plagued with problems. Doors will stick or they won't latch when you try to shut them. Uh, you'll have cracks in your walls, maybe in the, in the foundation, the floor itself. Uh, nails will pop out of studs and drywall. Things begin to fall apart if the foundation is faulty. Uh, listen to me. I want you to know that you're a part of a family whose foundation is set on Jesus Christ. This is a house. Healing Place Church is a house that's not based on a personality. You're not coming here to see Mike Heyman. You're coming here because you're a part of a spiritual family whose cornerstone is Jesus. The old song that says, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. As I prayed for you this week and this weekend, uh, laying hands on these seats and praying for these moments, I said, Lord, would you give us families who are built on the foundation of Christ? It takes some choices. Joshua said, choose you this day. How many of you know the quality of the choices that you make will determine the foundation that you build? If you're making good choices... Man, you're going to lay a foundation that is solid, and what's built on top of that will be strong. My prayer is that, that you're making choices to prioritize God in your family. 
you know, training your children in the ways of the Lord. I remember when Rachel and I built our house seven years ago. In the foundation, I literally etched this verse, Joshua 24, 15. Uh, uh, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I know it's my responsibility to set the environment, the spiritual thermostat in my home. We are going to serve God. This is a place where we value the things of God, where we treat each other with respect and with honor, where we put Jesus in the center of our schedules and our thinking and our conversation. Some of you say, well, pastor, I, I didn't grow up in a home like that. Uh, maybe you're foundation has been faulty and you've, you've had to constantly make repairs in relationships. Uh, maybe you inherited, maybe you're part of a blended family or, 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 or maybe uh, you're a product of divorce or I mean, there, there's been a lot of hurt and heartache in your family and you're thinking, Mike, how do I get to this foundation? I want you to know this. You can't do anything about your ancestors, but you can make a decision today that will affect your descendants. You and I can make choices. Some of us may need to reprioritize some things in our lives, but great families are built on the foundation of Christ. Joshua says, as for me and my house. Somebody say house. Now let me say this. I, th I think this is important to say, especially in an election year. I know 2024 is an election year. <laughs> and things get crazy in an election year. You can already hear the rhetoric ramping up. Are you with me? Man, you watching TV and whatever news media outlets that you follow, social media outlets, can I tell you this? What happens in your house is way more important than what happens in the White House. And I'm not trying to downplay the political process. I think all of us need to be active. We need to be engaged. We need to vote our values. But please, hear me. Hear your pastor. This is important to me. Politics, by its very nature, divides. Let's don't allow the, 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 the culture and the rhetoric and the division of politics to come in and spoil the unity of the house of God. I have been blessed under every administration that's ever occupied the White House. You know why? Because my source of blessing is not in Washington, D.C. Come on, can somebody say amen? Say foundation. We will serve the Lord. Number two, write down the word fighting. Somebody say fighting. No, we got to handle the foundation right, but man, we, we got to understand. Anybody else still hungry? Anybody over here? Over here? Catch it, catch it, look at you. Got yes! Great snag right there. How, you think I can make the raised seating? You think I can get. <laughs> I ain't going to do that. I ain't going to do that. There you go, right there. Darlene, you don't. No, you don't. You taking notes too? All yeah, very studious. Very. I'm trying to feed some people. Fighting, fighting. How many of you know all families fight? All families fight. Sometimes we fight about the wrong things. Great families know what to fight for, and they know who they're fighting against. Now here's this in Genesis 13. I want to give you another family. Abraham. We already mentioned him. Abraham had a nephew named Lot. God blessed Abraham. But that blessing trickled down on Lot as well. 
and their herds and flocks began to multiply, so much so that the land couldn't support both Abraham and Lot. Now notice the conversation here, Genesis 13, 8. Finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. Notice what Abraham's saying here. Whoa, 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 let's pump the brakes. Let's not get sideways with each other. Abraham says to Lot, we're family. Let's don't fight like this. Let's don't allow the strife between our herdsmen to separate us as family. He says, verse nine, the whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any selection of the land you want and we'll separate, we'll create some margin. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land to the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. Now, here's what's fascinating to me. Abraham had seniority. I mean, he had full right to say, Lot, you can just take your herds and your sheep and your flocks and you can find somewhere else to to roam. All of this is mine. But Abraham humbled himself. He deferred to Lot, even though he had full right and authority. He said, look, if you want to go this way, I'll go the other way. I love the humility that Abraham walks in. And here's why. I want you to hear this. This is an important principle. Abraham had a promise. He didn't need to fight for a place. Some of you are fighting for a place. And you've forgotten the promise that God's given you. God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. That's why we call it the promised land. God told Abraham, look around. I'm going to bless your descendants and you're going to occupy this. Listen, Abraham had an eternal perspective. He didn't need to argue over something temporary like grazing land for your cattle or sheep. If some of us would give a revelation of the promise of God, then we wouldn't let strife or division or animosity come and separate us as family. You got to pick your battles. You got to pick your battles. Uh, Listen, friendly fire is just as lethal as enemy fire. And some of you are, are attacking one another and God's saying, no, 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 no. Your family, you've got to walk in humility. This is not a mountain to die on. I've given you a promise. You won't have to fight for a place. Now, let me give you this. There's a little caveat to this. That's Genesis 13. In the very next chapter, you'll read where war broke out and Lot and his family were prisoners of war. So Abraham chose 318 skilled warriors and went down and rescued his nephew. Now, you got to know what to fight and when to fight. See, Abraham says, he's my family, and so he's worth fighting for. You know, some of you may need to have a conversation around the dinner table today and say, let's quit fighting each other. We're on the same team. Let's fight for one another. Can I have a good amen? Somebody say foundation. Say fighting. Now say forgiveness. Anybody else? Another couple bread rolls. Here we are. Here we are. Here we go back there. There, there we catch it. That's right. Just the, the two second reel. It's clean. You can eat it. Anybody else over here? Here we. Yes. Forgiveness. If you're going to be in a family that has longevity, you're going to have to get good at this. 
Forgiveness is the super glue that holds families together. And there's probably no greater picture of forgiveness than the story of Joseph and his brothers. Remember how his brothers hated him? Man, they were so jealous of Joseph. Joseph was favored by his father. He wore this coat of many colors. The Bible says that Joseph's brothers conspired to kill him. Instead of killing him, they threw him in a pit and they ended up selling him as a slave. He goes down to Egypt and he's serving in Potiphar's house. And then Miss Potty, Potiphar's wife, we'll call her Miss Potty, thought Joseph was a hottie and wanted to get with him. And Joseph's like, no, I ain't doing that. And was, Joseph was framed, falsely accused, thrown into prison. He goes from the pit to Potiphar's house to prison. And then one day Pharaoh has a dream that nobody can interpret, but a young Hebrew boy who's in jail. And he goes from the pit to the palace. Now Joseph is promoted. He's in a position of prominence. There's a famine that breaks out. And guess who comes looking for food? Joseph's brothers. And now Joseph has them eating out of the palm of his hand. What would you do if 22 years later, now think about it, Joseph was 17 at the time he was sold as a slave. Now he's the, the prime minister of Egypt. He's 39 years old. And here comes his brothers. And Joseph's like, well, 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 look at what we got here. What did Joseph do? Read this with me in Genesis 43. Verse 16 says, when Joseph saw Benjamin, now listen, they don't know who he is. He, they don't recognize him. It's been 22 years. They, they don't know that that's Joseph disguised, but he knows who they are. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the manager of his household, these men will eat with me this noon. Take them inside the palace, then go slaughter an animal and prepare a feast at the table. Come on, are you catching this? Prepare a feast, a big feast at the table. So the men of, did what Joseph told them and took them into his palace. Verse 33, Joseph told each of his brothers where to sit. And to their amazement, he seated them according to age, from oldest to youngest. Joseph filled their plates with food from his own table, giving Benjamin five times as much as he gave to the others. So they feasted and they drank freely with him. Now, this table in Genesis represents a place of reconciliation and a place of healing. Some of you have empty spaces at your table because of unforgiveness. Now, listen, I know this is difficult. Forgiveness is a hard thing. You cannot do that. I cannot do that in my own strength. My flesh doesn't want to forgive. My flesh wants to get even. And yet Joseph brings them to his table. And, and, and the only way Joseph could do that, he wasn't bitter in his heart. See, the, the un, unforgiveness will create bitterness, but his heart was soft toward God. I want you to consider this. Joseph had to make a decision that what God had done for him was greater than anything they had done to him. Some of you need to make that decision you, because things have come at you and against you and it's not your fault. I mean, it's all wrong and they hurt you and the way they treated you, the things they said about you, they did you dirty. And man, there's a, a, a lack of justice that you feel has taken place in your life. I want to tell you, when you forgive those that have hurt you, 
then you empower God to take up justice with those who have offended you. And how many of you know God can take care of your enemies a whole lot better than you can? I heard recently a story, Chuck Swindoll. Have you ever heard of Chuck Swindoll? One of the great Bible teachers of our day. Man, fantastic teaching ministry. I love listening. He's just brilliant. He told the story recently. He said, I'm 83 years old. He said, and I went to McDonald's for breakfast one morning. And I pulled up to, to look at the menu. And he says, it just takes me a little longer to get myself together now. And I try to figure out what I want. And so I was taking a little bit too long. And the car behind me got upset. And the lady started honking her horn and making gestures that weren't very nice and saying things that I can't even repeat. She was very upset. And so I finally I decided what I wanted. So I pulled up to the front window, the first window, and I said, listen, I, I want to pay for not just my order, but I want to pay for the, the order of the lady behind me. And the, the, the girl was impressed, like, wow. So, okay, so he pays for both meals and then goes to the second window. Well, she pulls up to the first window and realizes that her meal has been paid for. So it like totally changed. She rolls down her window and is like, thank you. I, I'm so sorry. And just, I mean, it was like she was a different person. So he gets to that second window and shows both receipts and says, I want both my meal and hers. And he drove off in Jesus' name, making her go back into the line. Come on. <laughs> Some of you like writing that down, like, ooh, I could use that one. Yeah, yeah. He said, I may be old, but I'm not dumb. Come on. Forgiveness is not about paying you back. It's about bringing you back. Come on, are you with me? The only way we can forgive is when we understand the cross. Listen, God will never require you to forgive someone of more than what he's already forgiven you of. And when we repent of our sins and we realize God has washed us and made us clean, it's from that place we can offer forgiveness to somebody else. Can I have a good amen? Somebody say foundation. Say fighting. Say forgiveness. And the last but not the least, somebody say faith. These are my last two bread rolls. Here we go. Come on, for the, for the news. I was for the news, man. I'm trying to go WAFB today. Where we, I got some kids right over here. Here we go. Get it, get it. Oh, that's all right. Those are teenagers. They'll eat anything. Let me ask you this question. Can you trust God with your family? Can you trust God with your family? Let me, I don't have time to read the scripture, but I want to tell it to you. If you're following along on the app, it's in your notes. But I, I said all that to say this. Faith is a huge element when it comes to healthy families. The Bible says that God blessed Joseph. He forgave his brothers, but he began to bless Joseph with his own family. He had two kids. His first son was named Manasseh. Everybody say Manasseh. And Manasseh means this, God has caused me to forget all of my pain and all of my trouble from my father's house. Manasseh means forget. I'm forgetting all the hurt and the heartache. I, I've been able to release that and let it go. Manasseh was his first son. His second son's name was Ephraim. Everybody say Ephraim. Ephraim means the Lord has blessed me in the land of my suffering. 
he's got these two boys now. God's blessed him. He's restored his brothers to him. Now Jacob has come down from Canaan. He realizes that Joseph is still alive. Jacob is about to die, and he says, Joseph, bring your boys to me. I'm going to claim them as my own. I'm going to adopt them as if they belong to me. Now, here's what's interesting. A little Bible uh, trivia for you. Jacob had 12 sons. Each one of those sons were a tribe of the nation of Israel. But there is no tribe of Joseph. There is no tribe of Joseph. Why? Because Jacob claimed Joseph's boys as his own. So we have a tribe of Manasseh and we have a tribe of Ephraim. This is beautiful. Jacob says, bring those boys to me. I'm going to bless them before I die. So here comes Joseph with Manasseh and with Ephraim. And he takes Manasseh and he sets him right in front of Jacob's right hand because Manasseh is the older one. And it's the right hand that goes on the oldest. That was the custom. The, the right hand of strength, power, authority, and blessing would go on the oldest. Ephraim was at his right hand. Manasseh was at his right hand. Ephraim was at his left hand. And the Bible says that when Jacob went to pray for those boys, he crossed his hands. He crossed them. And he began to pray a blessing over them, but in a way that Joseph wasn't expecting. In fact, Joseph was a little upset. He interrupts his dad. He says, no, daddy. No, 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 no. Manasseh is the older. Put your right hand on his hand. You know what Jacob told him? He said, son, I know what I'm doing. God knows what he's doing with your children. You think he's confused. You think he's out of touch. No, God, I have this plan for my son. This plan. Lord, I don't see my plans coming together. And God says, I know what I'm doing with your kids. Trust your children to me. I want you to know that God will cross his arms to get you the blessing that you need. When God sent Jesus, he crossed his arms. Listen, the wrath and, and, and the judgment that our sin deserved, God put it on Jesus at the cross and he gave us a blessing in exchange. God knows what he's doing with your life, with your family, with your children, with your grandkids. God will cross his arms. Do you trust him? God, let us be people of faith as we surrender our families to you. Come on, do you receive that today? Put your hands together if you believe that. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.